Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 64. We got a full house back here on the State of Play pod. I'm your host, Martino Cuccio. Um, I just realized, gentlemen, um, Pet and Matt are with me. I am now officially a full year in with the State of Play boys, so it's been it's been a full uh, fun ride so far. About nine months of it have sped by so fast, um, obviously because of the pandemic, but just want to say it's been a lot of fun like to thank the both of you for uh bringing me on to the podcast and uh, it's been a lot of fun uh hosting co-hosting episodes with all of you guys um and continue to grow the podcast because i think we've accomplished so much within the 12 months and uh ready to do some more here's to another 12 uh it's been a pleasure having you man you've been you've been doing some astounding work with us yeah it's great and then we have the whenever the zoom meeting or whatever the hell you want to call it the award show for oh yeah 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 in a few weeks as well so it could get even better within the, the coming weeks but keep your fingers and toes crossed for us again another great weekend for us in our yeah. clubs um let's talk about it because arsenal we're obviously going to start with first manchester united's the most confusing like this manchester united <laughs> squad is the most confusing squad um to figure out that i've ever seen in my life um mm. they throttle leipzig in the middle of the week like five not like that was yeah. just a total beat down against a very respectable a squad. really good team a really <laughs> good team you're talking about a team who's you know gonna finish either second or third in in the bundesliga right and is probably gonna make it into the latter stages of of the Champions League potentially um between Maybe. them United and PSG you like they're either going to be in the last 16 quarterfinals or, or they're going to win or, Europa League yeah or they're going to go far in the Europa League right so they're a very decent side uh, really really decent even without Timo Werner but um mm. it was it was surprising to see um just how tepid United played i think i, I want to take a step back and we've talked about Solskjaer a lot on this show and mm. One of the things that I want to say is, at first, it seemed like he might not be the guy for uh, the kind of in-game management, you know, trying to improve players and win games in in the way that maybe a a Mourinho would or the way that Simeone would in terms of negotiating single-game fixtures. And the way that uh, they were buying in terms of Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Harry Maguire... Um, and all these other young, like placing impetus on uh, Marcus Rashford, giving Martial the nine shirt again, bringing Mason Greenwood through, uh, Bruno Fernandes rel- relatively young, building that young core. Um, I thought that Solskjaer was maybe the guy who had the vision that even the results weren't going well, that kind of vision would, would shine through. And in actual fact, what's happened is Solskjaer has actually become a very, very good in-game manager um if you look at his uh the game plan against psg amazing excellent the game plan against leipzig amazing excellent they did astoundingly well um but if you think about kind of like what a lot of these types of managers have in common the likes of Simeone, Mourinho, uh maybe a thomas tuchel uh you might even throw like a unai emery in there where they're so focused on one game after another sometimes you lose that kind of long-term vision of a, a guardiola or a klopp that is the thing that ends you winning uh league titles and big titles um so i think that what we're seeing now is maybe kind of like uh maybe misunderstanding of Solskjaer as a manager and maybe he's more of that kind of Mourinho type guy that is going to win one-off games and have a good crack at like cup competitions or making it in the last stage of the Champions League. In terms of him building a squad and building a title rivaling team, I just don't ever see that happening on the Solskjaer, right? Um, Donny van der Beek, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I just, I just don't think he builds momentum. I don't think, um, I don't think he clearly instills a culture around United that is um, that they need to dominate games, that they need to uh, play to one hundred percent of their ability every single week. Um, you know, there's a few reports out that his uh, training methods aren't very good, that the intensity in training is quite low. And I think there's a, a bit of a lackadaisical nature around United that they, they kind of turn up when they want. And I, I really do think that, yeah, we're kind of reassessing as a football community 
our understanding and our perception of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as being this more in-game manager where he can set his teams up to win like certain games, but he might not have that longevity and that long-term vision. And these types of managers, they usually have two to four year stints at clubs and then they move on. Hmm. Yeah, I, I just feel like they've they've done a good job of keeping faith with him. They don't. They they changed managers often recently within the past decade too, but they they haven't been brash about all these changes. You know, like Chelsea, we know like they're notorious for just getting rid of guys, even if it's a year and a half, two years after even a successful campaign. With United, they still give these guys time. Like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, like he would have been how how fast would he have been sacked if he was a manager at Chelsea, right? Like he would have been gone by now, especially after what happened at the start of last season. But, I mean, you got to give props to United for just, you know, sticking with it, with a guy in the first place. And there's a lot of flaws in it because how could you just beat Leipzig 5 nothing, absolutely dominate them, and then just not look like the same squad on the weekend against Arsenal, who, with all due respect, they, they're, they're kind of similar on their best day. They can compete with anybody. But at the same time, it's just you lose one nothing like that. And it's just, it's just bizarre on how that happens. And Matt, I think it's just, you know, a testament to how United are still a couple steps away from returning to where they ultimately want to be. Right. And that's contending for the Premier League title all the time and going deep into the Champions League and potentially winning it because they're still, you could tell they're just still not there, but whenever you see a performance like they had midweek, you're like, okay, then why can't we see that all the time? (laughs) Because well, there's a lot of crazy. I, I think there's a lot of in this squad too. It, it's it's a it's a strange situation because you look and you can kind of see the makeup, the the nucleus. It looks very strong, right? You look at all these young players they got. You know, Rashford's a premier talent, aside from being just a great individual for what he's doing off the field. And you look at you know Greenwood, you look at Martial, you look at Bruno, you look at like you look at the makeup and like this team in terms of what they got feels like they should be doing more. They should be able to at least put together some more consistency. And I think that's another thing with this squad is that I think if you look at some of these other coaches, and this is a question that kind of, you know, would drummed up in my mind as you guys were going back and forth, is when you look at the projects of Chelsea, Arsenal, and United, there are some similarities in the sense that a lot of them are, are young. They're driven by young. The coaches are relatively young in terms of their experience. But it, it seems as though with, Manchester United versus, you know, Chelsea and versus Arsenal, that Solskjaer was more ushered in as a, as a means to say, well, we don't really want to invest in a coach right now midseason because they got rid of Mourinho. Whereas with Chelsea and Arsenal, Lampard and Arteta were like selected guys as like, no, we envisioned him. It's more of just like, uh, to your point, Pet, you feel as though that Solskjaer and United are piecing it together one day and one result after the other. Whereas with maybe Arsenal, they're looking to head in a direction where they'll take their lumps or bumps and bruises with the end game being Arteta at the the wheel, being able to create his arsenal, his his vision for the squad versus, hey, we're going to just see how this goes with Solskjaer and take it from there. I mean, what do you what do you what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think it's it's very hard to judge players, um, coaches, when then they don't have their players. Uh, and you see, for example, Arteta has got someone like Thomas Partey and someone like Gabriel, and instantly Arsenal look better because the personnel fit the system mm-hmm. that um, Arteta is trying to implement. I mean, going just just wanted to step back back to the Man United Arsenal game. I thought it was kind of dominated apart from ten minutes by Arsenal end to end. I think that at one point as an Arsenal fan, I felt like we were playing into United's hands by having possession, pressing and squeezing up really, really high. But the diamond that Man United implemented just didn't get the ball. Bruno Fernandes hardly touched the ball in the first half. Paul Pogba hardly touched the ball in the first half. And, you know, I I think... When you see a guy like Thomas Partey play the way he did in that game, um, I, I I struggle to find. I know it's going to be such a, a silly comparison, but since Gilberto Silva and since Patrick Vieira, Emmanuel Petit, those types of players, Arsenal haven't had that presence in the middle of the park, and it's just this aura that this guy gave off right in this game, where he said, "No one's getting past me." Uh, and I'm going to get past you if I want at will. And there was this little um, moment, I think, where he tackled Pogba, tried to get away with him. Pogba did really well, got back and tackled him. 
and uh, party kind of just shoved him aside and, and came back and got the ball back. And it was just like, mm-hmm. how, how do you, how do you get past this guy? Um, it, it was just such a dominant display. And when the ball did get past him, uh, which was mostly through the air, uh, you had a guy in, in Gabriel who I was looking at some of the defensive stats. I think it was like five tackles. Uh, I think it was nine, nine duels, one, uh, four clearances, a number of interceptions. The amount of headers he he got to in in the box, maybe lucky to stay on, but I think he he um, he he was still really really aggressive. And it's just so hard to play against these guys who are just phenomenal on the ball, but off the ball they are insanely good athletes. And I mean, shout out to Mo Elneny as well, who's a, a, another guy who's who's clearly very athletically uh, gifted, especially in the endurance uh, department. I mean, I don't know if you guys watched the game, but ninety second minute he was pressing and harrying the whole of the United defense which was really impressive um I think United were very you know lax on the ball um the left hand side didn't really work for me Uh, Luke Shaw and uh Paul Pogba and then um uh, Mason Greenwood whenever he drifted out onto the left hand side I was surprised not to see Rashford more on the left and and staying on the left hand side and trying to pin Bellerin back a bit more uh Luke Shaw and Pogba just weren't good enough on the ball and they didn't get their best player Bruno Fernandes on the ball enough. I was also quite surprised to see McTominay at the right of the diamond instead of at the centre point, the number six, and having Fred on the right. So that was another surprise to me. But overall, I think Arsenal were, were fantastic. Um, there was a few, uh, you know, it's interesting actually, none of the forwards maybe had outstanding games, but in the end, I think they created enough chances. They got in enough situations that meant that they, they deserved to win the game. And I think United will kind of look at themselves. They haven't won at Old Trafford this season in the Premier League. Where do they go from here? They know they have the ability to beat anyone, you know, if they can beat PSG and you can beat Leipzig, you can beat pretty much anyone in Europe. But it's about stringing together that consistency. And I'm just not sure that long-term Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the guy and it's going to be uh, nip and tuck for them to get into the, the top four this season. I think it's going to be very highly contested. I think with Arsenal too, and I, and I know we got other topics to, to move on to, but I think when you have additions like Gabriel and, and Partey have this sort of impact, it's, it, 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 it kind of brushes off and, and, and rubs off on the other players. Right? It's, it's something that you got to get that extra shot on the arm. And I know, we know as Milan fans, me and Martino, you know, we've experienced this too on the obviously different scale, but there's just something about the squad and how they play around a new signing, right? Especially when he's thrusted right into the middle of the heart of the midfield in a big match. And this was the perfect opportunity for him, right? To have his arsenal moment, right? Kind of earn yeah. that shirt, if you will, his, his first big performance. And I think this is a, the perfect match that you look for, to your point, Pet. It wasn't just a, uh, Aubameyang pulling out a heroic goal or something out of nowhere. And it's, oh, it's Aubameyang scoring the goal and they win. Sometimes as a team, and for, for Arteta's sake, you need these sorts of gritty, grinded out in terms of the performance collectively, right? Not just one guy kind of carrying the load. Is that the 11 guys on the field, everyone you feel as though did something to contribute to the result. As you mentioned, Alneni pressing and really just emptying the tank until the very last minute. Those things are so big for the morale of the team and also the fans. And obviously the fans are not in, in attendance for these games, but that's that's the type of victory that for me it's great to score goals but when you see this sort of collective effort in a big match against a team that just came off uh you know a, a great Champions League victory it's an impressive result for Arsenal I'm sure you were you were very happy I was I was but I mean we wanted to touch a little bit on the broader Premier League uh, mm. and how crazy this season has been I mean you know when we've got a situation like Villa beating Liverpool 7-2 and then uh, a couple weeks later or three weeks later being 4-0 down to Southampton. It, it is a crazy, crazy season, isn't it? Like, I mean, a lot of people and, and data guys have, have been very bullish on the fact that this will regress at some point. We we won't have as many goals in the future, but there have been some crazy, crazy fixtures, some crazy games. And do you guys see that slowing up? Uh, yeah, I think I think in terms of goal output, for sure, especially with certain teams that like to play a style where you're high pressing all the time and you're, you're exerting a lot of energy. I think that's eventually going to catch up to some of these squads just because of the simple fact that you can't play that way in a condensed season for however many matches you're going to be playing. In. And I think there's certain advantages for other clubs like 
you know, a, low, a lower tier club of, uh, of elites, for example. They're not going to be sending that many players on international break. So when the international breaks happen, they're going to be getting a nice two weeks rest or so. So that, that type of style is going to be e- a little bit easier to uphold. But when you're, you know, uh, a Spurs, just for example, right? Like it's eventually going to catch up to them with certain players, but that's the importance of the depth, right? Because when you have great depth, you're not going to have to worry about it as much. And, you know, with certain clubs that are going to have their injuries catching up to them, like we're going to see Inter, we're already seeing like Inter, for example, back in Serie A, Matt, where these injuries are starting to pile up now. There's positive testing. You're sending players away on international break and, you know, they're going to be playing in these matches because now certain countries are playing three matches during the international break. And it's not always that their players are going to be playing 270 minutes or so within those three matches. But the fact that they get those couple matches that they do have to play in and then they have to come back and play in, you know, we have a condensed Champions League schedule as well. They're trying to get in these six matches in the group stage. And I think eventually that's going to catch up. Um but it's huge for some some clubs and leagues that have the five substitution rule. And, and we already have seen Pep Guardiola, one of the guys saying that we should have these five, you know, substitutions still in there. And I, and I agree with him. Not only does it benefit a Manchester City, right, because you could think of all the names that they bring off the bench when you have five substitutions. It's just no comparison to, uh, you know, West Brom, right? And, and there's no disrespect to them. But at the end of the day, when you're when you have so many options and you're playing in so many competition, it's going to be beneficial to you. But if you're not going to have um, the depth that you would like for for other sides, I think you're going to start to see it slow down. And towards the end of the matches, you know, in second halves, I think we're going to start seeing like teams aren't going to be able to be pressing as much as they want. They're going to be relying a lot on counterattacks. And with counterattacks, you know, if you're if your counterattacks aren't crisp and and linking up well you're not going to result in a lot of goals. And then you're going to start seeing that drop-off happen. And I think that's something we're going to see eventually in, in the Februarys. Um, even in December, like think about, it was right around this time last year when we were approaching December, how Jurgen Klopp was even talking about how it's just too many games, too many fixtures at once. We've seen him play, it might have been in the Carabao Cup, where they're just playing all their youth sector teams. And like the average age, what it was like around 20 years of age for Liverpool, you're going to start having to see that because they're just going to drop out in these competitions that truly don't matter to them. At a certain point, they're just going to be focusing on the Premier League, the FA Cup to a certain extent, if they want to go win a trophy like that. I, I think it's eventually going to catch up to all these teams and and more so in, in, in England because England has more competitions than any other mm-hmm. country that you could think of yeah. because – over here, or not over here, sorry, in Italy or, you know, Spain, they're going to have, you know, their cups. But then, you know, whatever teams are in the Europa League, but then they just have their league. They don't have the Carabao Cup. They don't have the FA Cup. And then um, whatever the Capital One Cup. Like, there's just so many things in England. And I think that's eventually going to catch up to them. And for me, guys, I don't know about you, I think that that might catch up to them eventually in a Champions League spot. Or there's going to be teams – not a Champions League spot, a Champions League match later on, you know, in the Februarys and March. Like, they're going to be so tired like that. You'll, you'll see them drop midweek, a midweek match if, if they have those. Like, that's, that's huge for a, for a squad that's doing relatively well in the Premier League that doesn't have to have these matches every three or four days. They can catch a United or, you know, a Spurs that are in, you know, a quarterfinal of a Champions League where – they they have they've been playing so much that you could catch them at, at a good opportunity, and then all of a sudden United drop three points midweek or on the weekend against a lesser side. I just think that is we're gonna eventually start seeing that. I don't think you know it's it, it depends on the club at the end of the day, right? Now how far are certain clubs making a run in certain tournaments, and how many minutes are these guys logging? Because Again, I don't think we're going to see big money purchases in January as well. I think there's going to be, you know, smart depth additions for the smarter clubs. I don't think you're really going to see like, you know, a Van Dyke move for 80 million pounds in January. I think I think eventually they're going to be like, okay, we need a couple guys here and there so we could play them in these tournaments or midweek that we could rely upon them. And um, yeah, I, I just I do think it's eventually going to catch up to certain clubs and uh, countries. So. I mean, um, 
I think we wanted to discuss Gareth Bale and his situation. Uh, <laughs> um, um, I mean, pretty quickly, yeah. On, fair, fair play, Gareth Bale coming coming on. Uh, you know, Premier League scoring a winner. I think it's gonna. It remains to be seen. I think it's really interesting with Gareth Bale because, like, we don't know if this is the Gareth Bale of even two years ago because he hasn't really played much football. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how often he starts for Spurs. Is he going to be more this kind of more emblematic figure where he comes on and starts in the Europa League a bit more because I can't really see him starting that much for Spurs. I mean, mm-hmm. unless his form is outstanding and he is at the levels that he was before, which again, yeah. remains to be seen. I think he's yeah, going to have matches where he, he, he starts um, obviously, but doesn't play the full match or, you know, let's say for instance, you know, for the game calls for, you know, that, that it's calling and begging for someone of that, that ilk, that class to kind of change the outcome. And you can bring on a guy like Bale and he for like 30, 35 minutes even, like through most of the second half. And Bale can give you that, that magic, that brilliance that we saw um, in his first stint at Spurs and in Spurs, of course, with Real Madrid. I think he's going to be that sort of player. He'll start games. I, I don't think there's a question about that. I don't think you bring him back as a, just a bench warmer, a guy who just comes off and plays occasionally. I think mm. when, you, when you have the ability to impact games like he does that we saw yesterday, I just or on the weekend, shall I say, you know, you got to find a way to get him in, in, in the squad. And, and like I said, in many ways, and you can draw parallels to maybe like an Ibrahimovic, not saying he can have the same impact, but when you have a player like Bale on the field, the players maybe play a little bit. They jive a little bit differently and they ultimately kind of try to mimic and, 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 and emulate that sort of energy that maybe Bale can bring in a, in a short, shorter appearance. Yeah, and we've seen him make that impact on the biggest stage possible in the Champions League. And and you know what? It's not that and it's not that um, much to ask of him, in my opinion. At his age, and you know, he doesn't have a ton of mileage, and that's probably mostly because he's been hurt a lot of the time. But I think he could certainly make those impacts in certain matches. Um, it's good for him that they rebound with him coming on as a sub because. The first time he came on as a sub this season, that match did not end well against West Ham. So that was, um, <laughs> I mean, is the thing is, the, the overarching thing is, even if he's 60% mm. of yeah. the player that he was at Spurs, let alone Madrid, yeah. I think it's, it's a good bet. Yeah, because he's coming off the bench. You're not asking him to be prime Gareth Bale. And I think they knew that coming in. It's just, you're right. Just give us 60% of what you were, and 60% of what you were is better than 70% of a Premier League player. So, you know what? It's something you got to take at the end of the day. So, we'll move on from England, and we'll head over to Spain and La Liga. Um, Listen, Barcelona, a lot of stuff is going on over there. Um, We see Bartomeu um, is heading on out with his board as well. We know the elections are so important, Um, and this happened right after he was saying he didn't have any plans of leaving. Their hand is forced here. Uh, this is, you know, forget about all the stuff that's happening on the field for a second as well. This is just something that just need to happen for the future, right? Even if Messi is staying or if he is going, you can't have that there. It was just uh, too much of a revolving door. There was too many failures since he took over. Um, the transfer policy, I don't know how many times we have to really discuss it. None of it really makes sense um, at the end of the day. And there's still a ton of talent on this team whether or not you agree with the Ronald Koeman hire. And this, is, and this is where it brings in more of the chaos now. Because when you have new directors coming in and a new board, like, are they really going to be seeing eye to eye with Ronald Koeman and some of the players that he brought in transfer-wise? Like, there's, there's even more question marks at the end of the day now because does Messi get along with some of the guys that are coming in here? Is he going to agree with their policy? How long is it going to take for them to rebuild what, what just went down over here? I think – I think they're so talented in some areas that they're going to be able to rebuild a lot faster. And it's still Barcelona at the end of the day. It's not, it's still not the same situation. Like a lot of people think it would be with, with a Milan. Um, but I think there's still a lot of question marks at the end of the day. And Messi doesn't look like he's going to be giving you 40 goals this season. Right. And you even saw it in the Juventus match. Uh, um, Definitely not from open play. Is he? No, no. And you can see he's, he's starting to look like he's getting a little tired. I don't know if it's just me. I think he's going to be he's, able to create a lot. And His and role get, is different, you know, though. He's, he's playing a lot in the midfield, and he's having to yep. – like his it's numbers like still – Yeah, his numbers on the – like if you look at his, his – I'm, I'm following Squawka here, and they're posting all these tweets about Messi and some of the results that they're having. 
And, you know, he's completing a pass as the chances created, the dribbles, the take-ons, all these sorts of things that look really good. But he's exerting so much energy. I mean, it's funny because we had um, Santai on weeks ago, and he talked about you know, this was when the whole situation was going on, that he could potentially go to City. And we, we touched on it, right? He says that, you know, Messi's you got to have someone in the squad, one or two guys that can make up for the lack of running that Messi does nowadays. But it seems as though now it's like Messi's like trying to put on that, let me just, you know, take control of everything had here. And as a result, you know, maybe he's not going to score the goals. He's not going to be as further up the pitch to kind of have that final ball where he makes all this magic happen. And as a result, we're starting to see him have the, the, the moments in a match that look really strong. But at the end of the day, it's not resulting in what he needs to, it needs to result in. And he's using all this energy. He's playing a sort of, somewhat of a deep midfield position, having to retrieve the ball deep and just carry it and go on one of those mazy, you know, fantastic runs that he's always gone on. And as a result, I think that Barcelona's um, overall style of play, that under Coleman and their just ability to, you know, piece together a game to get the, result, the, the, the chances and opportunities that they need, it's, it's just, there's a disconnect there and it's, it's not working right now. It's it's definitely not working, and I think you know there's there's some good pieces there, and their next kind of um, crop of young players looks really exciting. In in Fatty Pedri, they've got a few more, and mm-hmm. the next kind of guard to come. I think they're saying the kind of fifteen, sixteen year olds in La Masia yeah. are currently the mm-hmm. the most exciting since uh, the Messi Fabregas kind of era. But you know, uh, Messi one goal in six Liga games. Is it uh, no yeah. open play? goals this season is that right i mean it's uh it's all it, coincidence though it's not but if no you look at it if you but if let, let me just stop here real quick because you look at it because we talked about how much he carried barcelona last year and he put up a 2020 season yeah and now you're seeing then but what, but again the but again that and his numbers those, aren't there those stats were quite inflated um by the amount of sheer output he had against like the lower half of the table right so it was a 2020 season but with context it wasn't amazing in terms of his stats against like the top eight for example which again 2020 is still amazing right 20 goals 20 assists is still it is. Right, no of course incredible. because if it was that easy everybody else would do it it's absolutely just like, absolutely yeah. but i guess what i'm saying is like last season we saw him weaning in a little bit in terms of influence in, in big games when as we know football nowadays is, is so highly choreographed uh, coaches want their players to do one particular thing the whole game and nothing else um i mean it, it's definitely a game of chess and when you have a piece that maybe doesn't fit that kind of um, very rigid style of play, it's harder for them to bring up the numbers that they usually do. So last season, we saw him regress a little bit in the big games. This season, we're seeing his stats from a, from a goal and assist output regress a little bit in general. And this is just going to be natural, right? The guy's not going to be the best player uh, or the best player of all like goat level for his whole career. It's just not possible. So it's not really a surprise that this is happening. I guess it's a surprise that, you know, uh, he's just the, being human somewhat. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's also a surprise that Komen is not uh, a built, still building a team around him to get the best out of him so that he gets the ball in positions where he can actually destroy teams. Uh, that's kind of what I'm seeing where, mm. um, you know, the likes of Fatty and Griezmann are getting a lot of space because he's pulling deeper and there's space in behind those defenses to run into. He could have had four assists midweek in the Champions League. I did. Yeah. Like his and teammates he, also he weren't finishing the chances. He could have scored against the Juventus as well. He had that yeah, really great too, chance. Yeah. So I, I, I think there is... Um, I think it's Barcelona in general as a team not really working, not really working as a well-ordered yeah. machine, but also a sign that he is declining slowly. He's never, ever going to drop off a cliff, right? He's yeah. like, when we look back at the stats, we're going to see, oh, wow, well, actually his output declined over like a few seasons, which is totally normal. We've kind of seen it with Ronaldo over the last couple of seasons Absolutely. where he picks Absolutely. his moments when he's going to like go on a streak of scoring. Um, but I think the the overall thing uh, is, again, in terms of why Coman might be doing this, is he might not be here next summer. So are you really going to build a system that facilitates a guy who's not going to be here next season above and beyond so it's a really complicated situation over there i mean messi's clearly won his battle with the board um if the board uh 
is hot, the new people that come on are the likes of Pio and, and maybe Javi is brought into the fold. Could Messi finish a career there? I definitely think so. But it has to be the right type of people that come on board, the people that are going to be amicable with Messi to, for him to decision. finish a career there. It's a quick decision to make too. Because yeah. I, if, if there's an extension, I think you see one for a year tops. Because at the end of the day, like how much time, he has to give them a fair amount of time for the moves they want to make as well, right? Because it's going to be difficult to just go off a new board for six, seven months or so, right? You're not, you're not going to figure out how well and how good they are at their job for a couple of years. So, I mean, it's a really tough situation because at the end of the day, I think he's probably just going to look to himself and say, what can I do and what is my best situation to close a gap in Champions League with Cristiano? Because he needs to win another Champions Because I think that's, that is the main thing. And you saw yeah. it in some of his I I don't think they're going to win another Champions League. Like With Barcelona and Messi, I agree. I don't This think, season, I, don't I can't see it. Next no. season, there would have to be a huge investment, which they don't have. And then by the time the likes of Fatty, Pedri, and whoever else in that squad get to a level... 35. That he's going to be really old. I mean, how old is Messi right now? I think he just turned 32 or 33 in June. He's, so. he's 34 in June, right? So, yeah, yeah. by that time, is he going to have the legs? I'm not too sure. So <sighs> let's see what happens. But, I mean, I mentioned Madrid. Uh, I also mentioned yeah. Ronaldo. Um, he came back after being positive uh, with the COVID virus and scored two goals in his comeback. Yeah, immediate impact too, by the way. Gets subbed on for Paulo Dybala. Um, within 30 seconds, I just see him <laughs> go around the goalkeeper. And I was like, I was like, that's just awesome. Even if I do hate Juve, I'm not his biggest fan. It's just, it's so impressive because there's no one really else that's going to really pull that off. I mean, we'll reference the player later, but because he also recovered from COVID. But just the sheer impact immediately. And Juve just, their, their confidence level skyrocketed in that. They looked more confident in that match than any match all season. Obviously, it's so early in it. But I, I think we'd also like to note as well, but we go back to the Cristiano thing. Paulo Dybala's body language getting subbed off for Ronaldo, by the way. Yeah. It just, mm -hmm. you know, you could see that. The kid, the kid took a whole walk around the field because you have to get subbed off now to, like, the nearest um, off area, the byline or wherever you are. Um, so you could see him walking slowly. He was shaking his head too. So I think that's something to monitor. But again, Ronaldo, just he just looked like the best player far and away on Juve. And that's pretty much what they're going to be for the whole season. So what, just, What's been the perception or the opinion of, of Pelo so far in Italy? What do Juventus um, fans think? Um, I yeah, think man, it's, right. it's frustration, obviously, because I think, you know, when they had uh, Allegri, then they had Sarri. And now they're going to another coach, but now he has no experience. I think there's obviously the frustration there from some of the results. I mean, they're not as sharp. Um, you know, Marata looks really good so far. I think that's a, he's been a, a bright, bright spot to the season so far. He looks like he's very much performing and need, doing exactly what they need him to do. But I think overall, they look at Pirlo, and it's, it seems as though is that, yes, they expected it. But at the same time, it's not something they want to accept, the fact that they're putting these results in against, you know, the likes of Corotone and Elas Verona, teams they should be trouncing. And they shouldn't be so much dependent on Ronaldo as they are. And this was a perfect example, right? They're, what was it, 1-1 against Spezia on the weekend? And then all of a yeah, sudden, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty close game. And all of a sudden, Ronaldo comes in. It's like, we need Ronaldo to be Ronaldo at all times for us to beat teams like Spezia. And that's alarming for, for a Juventus fan when you're considering the fact that you're going for your 10th straight. 10th straight Scudetto, you're trying to achieve certain things in the Champions League that you haven't achieved in such a long time, and the fact that there's a, so much more competition for the title. So um, the way I'm looking at it is, and we touched on this in the previous episode, is that I ex expected this. You have to expect the, the growing pains of a manager that's still trying to feel his way around a club like Juve on the coaching side of things versus on the playing field because we obviously know what he accomplished there. But that doesn't mean Juventus fans are going to be okay with it. You see the memes. You can't be. You, you see the trolling. Be. You can't be. You can't – for a team that has this quality, and I know they have some injuries. I know they have some players in certain areas that maybe aren't performing the way they should. But is that down to the quality of the player all, uh, uh, so much, or is it that strict to the system not allowing that they've, player to thrive? They, because Dybala was great last enough. year. Dybala was great last year with Ronaldo. Um, you know, they even had certain players in that squad that Bento Kerr looked very strong. But you kind of look at this squad and you're like, 
do you really need Ronaldo to be Ronaldo against Spezia? And I don't know. Maybe this is how the season's going to go for Juve. Take- Are they going to? Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've I've said time and time again that this team is just compromised of individual brilliance, pulling out three points, which which will work and win you the league, but that doesn't win you the Champions League. Because at no. the end of the day, that again, this is the whole goal for them. Their wage bill is double the next, the second highest team in Serie A. Like there, there is no excuses for them not to win this. Like even you knew this coming in anyways when you hire Pirlo, a guy who has no experience. Yeah, you're going to be losing those matches or dropping some points here and there. But still, that is that any excuse at the end of the day? Some of these teams just don't even have even close to the amount of talent and wage and resources that you would do. So I think it is inexcusable at the end of the day when you're dropping some of these points and putting out some of the performances, you know, because the results don't always mimic what that game was like. Like yesterday, it's a 4-1 victory, but if you watched most of it before Ronaldo came on, they were battling to grind out to get a lead in that game. It's not like they were absolutely dominating Spezia. And this is something that is coming back from last season too, because this is a carryover effect. And Pirlo is going to have to figure out how to play Dybala, Morata, and Cristiano Ronaldo at the same time, while also incorporating Kulusevski. And then you have Chiesa, who you buy for almost 50 to 60 million euros, that you need to figure out where to put him as well. And some of you know his substitutions that he's putting Quadrado at the back in, in a three-man <laughs> defense, it's just... I don't Manilo, get, like, that's not back. It's, it's not good enough. It's, and you know what? And for the goals that they want at the end of the day, I don't really care if they win a 10th title if I'm a Juve fan. That's not good enough to me. You need to, you need to make it to a Champions League final or win it. Because then... To an extent, you wasted Cristiano Ronaldo being there because this transfer pot, it's just really not good because Arthur's not dominating matches when you're getting a guy for almost 70 million euros as well. And I'm not trying to hear a pick on Juve. I still think they're going to win the league, but it's just not good enough. It's just really not. And they need to turn around fast. And obviously I think they will. But in terms, again, like Barcelona, do I see Barcelona or Juve winning the Champions League? No, I don't think so. I don't think they have enough. I don't think they're playing well enough. I don't think they're going to figure it out with Impilo's first year to do that, unless Cristiano Ronaldo goes on some sort of Champions League run where he's carrying them. But even then, when we saw it over the summer, right, he's the only one doing something for them in the Champions League, and, okay. the, and the rest of the squad doesn't step up, and they're eliminated again. It's two years in a row. Like, they were lucky they beat Atletico his first year. That was all him. Yeah. And then he nearly got them through Ajax. Against Lyon. Against Leon, sorry. Oh well, yeah, Ajax. Well, I mean, the Ajax one that was just—they were bullied. They were dominated. Yeah. That like I've never seen them in a while. Probably the Champions League final against Real Madrid, where they were just—it just wasn't no contest. But let's talk about another Serie A team, and this is the darling and one of the teams that um, Matt has been on for a while. I picked them to finish ahead of Roma and Sassuolo. They were missing everybody in this match that you could think of from Berardi to Caputo, um, and Jurcic, they beat Napoli 2-0. That is a hell of a win for them, Matt. And it really is just a testament to the system and how much they've really dominated. Um, and Deserbi has been fantastic. He might be the best coach in Serie A at the moment. And, you know, that's outside of Pioli um, because you can't really go against what Pioli has done with this unbeaten run. But, I mean, my goodness, these, these are just, you know – Every single player that has gone to Sassuolo has progressed like no one would have thought. Like Jeremy Boga failed at Chelsea, one of the better wingers in the league. Caputo coming out of I was just about to mention Jeremy Boga. He's played 110 minutes this season. So they've done Uh, all He had COVID, so he just came back to... But but uh, it's just testament to how well Sassuolo have done, right? You know, he's played 110 Mm -hmm. minutes. This is probably, you know, him and Berardi, probably their best players from last season. You know, he he was probably the stand-up player, and he's not played a hundred minutes or whatever. And they're doing this well. It's it's pretty in, incredible to see against a, a Napoli team who's been playing great as well. You got to remember as well they yeah. they got a loss, but one of their losses was because they didn't travel against Juventus and and they got docked a point for the time being. So even then, like if you just glance at the table, it's really still a strong Napoli side. Um, so. It's just it's just a phenomenal start for them, and I don't think they're really going to be slowing down because if they're able to pick up three points like that, like this is this is for real. I think they need to be taken mm. more seriously than some people have. 
Uh, yeah, I think with 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 the Cherubi, you know, we touched on his um, his upbringing as a, as a manager, right? I think he was he was at the coach of Benevento the one year where they got relegated. They finished bottom of the table. Um, they had some, you know, they obviously had I think that result against Milan where the goalkeeper scored a last minute header or something like that. I I don't, I don't even want to remember that. But uh, <laughs> as a coach, I think he's he's you can see that he's been he's quite clearly able to instill his uh, philosophy, his ideas in, in such a positive way. And I think a lot of people held. Um, who he was as a coach on his experience at Benevento, but he's had you know a good experience at Foggia and and some of these you know, some of these clubs in the in previous years where you could kind of see what he's trying to achieve. And you know it's funny his his quote uh, at halftime you know he uh, yesterday in the victory over Napoli he was he he was pretty much saying I was given the team talk today and I saw I had a strong starting eleven that could win in Naples. They looked at me and didn't seem to believe I meant it. So he's got this sort of. Uh, this effect on the squad that they really buy into what their the whole collective is trying to achieve, and it's it's in many ways. And I we I had this conversation with Matteo way back on I think the episode fifty, is that when you look at the sort of performances that that Sassuolo are able to put in and them as a as a as a club in general, you feel like there are some similarities between them and Atalanta, right? That you can plug certain players into certain areas when they're missing a key player but more or less expect that same style not to waver. And that's a perfect example. You know, even Boga didn't start the entire season. He was still, I think, out with COVID. And you look at the players they have in the squad, very young. Yes, some, some more experienced players. But my goodness, I mean, you got Caputo's a Capo Canary contender. You got Manuel Locatelli looking like one of the top midfielders in Serie A and a, someone who could maybe uh, find his way onto the Euro roster if there's more injuries that come in because Sensi's potentially not going to make that team. And you look at the dynamic the squad brings, and it's exciting to watch them play. You feel as though no matter who they're up against on any given match day, they cannot be slept on. And I'm looking forward to the matches against, you know, Juve, against Milan, that are really going to give those clubs uh, at the top of the table with them fits and, and some trouble. So big shout out to Sassuolo. I touched on them in the previous episode or a couple ones. And yeah, I'm just really excited to see what this team has in store for the rest of the season and whether or not they're going to finish above Roma, that remains to be seen. But nevertheless, they're definitely a Europa League contender for sure, the way they're playing. Yeah, um, I, th- I think they got a great shot at that. But let's talk about um, a team that's already in the Europa League and their best player, Milan, Ibra. The guy is Since Zlatan has rejoined AC Milan, no team has earned more points in Syria. Mm-hmm. That's pretty crazy. 61 points. I think Milan. the only team in Europe that's gotten more points is Bayern. <sighs> Atalanta 59 so. and Juventus that's, that's, 53. That's crazy. It's a crazy stat, isn't it? That is crazy. And, and since arriving in 2020, uh, in January, uh, Ibrahimovic has 22 goal contributions in 22 Serie A matches. 16 goals, 6 assists. So it, it's astonishing to me that the fact that he can come in have all this impact immediately from the jump. And that's just a testament to the aura, his overall preparation, his approach to playing. But also he's touched on himself too, right? Because it's all, it's all great to talk about what Ibrahimovic can do, but it's also what Ibrahimovic can get from being around such a youth-driven Rosanary project. And he touched on it. He's pretty much saying, you know, mm-hmm. these young players give me life. They give me energy. They keep me going. They're a great group of individuals who give it everything they got. And that's, not only on the on Ibrahimovic, that's not only on the players, but that's also on the coach. Like Pioli never will come out and make excuses, and that's one thing I really do love about him as a coach. Aside from everything he's accomplished on the field, is you know the injuries, the COVIDs, this that the, the extra games. He's not going to make an excuse. He it's almost like a a next up mentality with this team, and I think the players in this squad have really gravitated towards Ibrahimovic, and it's not just Ibrahimovic winning games for them. Brahim Diaz, Tonali looks very strong. Banacer looks like a really top midfielder. Uh, Diogo Dalo coming in. So yeah. when one player is maybe not his best, like a hot conference instance yesterday, you have other players that tend to pick up the load and pick up that extra baggage to help this team get victories. And it's really impressive. And I think it's something that's going to help Milan the rest of the way, whether it be, you know, chasing a, a Europa League uh, trophy or of course, finishing in the top four. So, uh, really hats off to Ibrahimovic. He has having a phenomenal season, top goal scorer in Serie A. Um, After missing a couple of matches, too. 10, 10 goal contributions in, in seven matches in all competitions. I mean, 
seeing him and Ronaldo on a week-to-week basis at their ages, they're just built differently, mentally, physically, and just from a football sense. And you know what? You know what's crazier too? They've won every single match this season that he hasn't played in. They're four for four in it. So it's it's not even like they're so dependent on a guy too. So because they know at the end of the day, if he needs to go take a rest too against a certain side, they'll be okay. Because he he got subbed off um, midweek in in the game against Prague. They came in and you know. They got another two goals without him. They didn't. They didn't need. Oh look, there goes the timer. <laughs> so they didn't. Um, they didn't really need him that much. But even then, I mean, just again, the goals and the assists. The he scored a bicycle kick in the in the eighty third minute <laughs> in a shortened week. Like he's. Are you kidding me? A thirty nine year old out of nowhere and, yeah. and literally out of nowhere. It's crazy. Yeah, literally out of nowhere. And and he tore his ACL in his mid thirties. Like well, Jesus he, Christ, he, he he damaged like more than one ligament. That's a lot of people don't yeah. remember. He tore like two of his knee ligaments, and then like two years later, is playing in Europe and in a top five league, and is the best player this season. Like it's crazy to think about. It really, so, really is insane. I've been thinking about this in the back of my head. All right. So obviously, this would have to be a miracle. And before this is the last thought before we go out. So say they win the league title somehow miraculously, right? Um, and they make a deep run into the Europa League, whatever, like semifinals or something. Where would you think he could finish in the Ballon d'Or? It would he, if would he, he have an uh, argument for top he, 10? Depends if he goes to the Euros and comes out of retirement. Yeah, he teased at that. He's going. He I saw that tease going, 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 man. He's him, going, come on. Him, Kuliseski, and Forsberg would be a decent, decent trio. Isak too, right? They're yeah, Isak. Yeah. They got some noise. They got some players on that team, yeah. I think I think well, all that would need to happen, which would be a miracle in the first place. I think um, yeah. I think one of the things is though that he has tweeted quite a lot about his distaste of the current Swedish manager for not playing mm. Kuliskevsky a lot. I think he said stuff like, "How the hell is yep. he not playing the future of?" Yeah, you know, uh, we have a bunch of idiots running things. That yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a few like amicable meetings have to happen. I think before that happens. Player manager in the Euros? Can you imagine? That'd be, that'd be something. Oh my god! It's like, look, you're getting sacked, and the reason is we're just bringing Ebra back, and he's going to manage as well. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Hey, you you never know. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I think he'd make it in like the top fifteen. Like I think, if if, if Syria won, won the league, league and they made a deep run into Europa, and he went to the Euros, I think he'd I think he'd come like top 10. How 50. could you not? And and look, he's got seven goals already. If he's over 20, 20 goals in the campaign, I mean, how could you like how could you not? At 39 yeah. years of age, I think I think there's a real case that he would make top 10. But that would yeah. have to be that's contingent on winning the league, going deep in that. But that's obviously that's it's also contingent on certain players not performing amazingly, mm-hmm. right? So oh, yeah. Uh, guys, guys that has been up there recently in recent years so you know uh griezmann um i mean messi uh, too dropping off and dyke's not messi, gonna be over there van the dyke's not gonna season. be there no. it doesn't look like that many liverpool players will be there because i don't know how no. deep they're going to the champions league so no. you probably wouldn't have like a mane salah trend i don't know how many of those guys will be in the top 15 so there's some spots there that could by the way joe felix yeah He's I just good as well. I forgot that something. I just want to say the progression over there. Kudos to them. I think they're very much alive uh, to win that league. Um, it's also kudos because it's hard to make it under Simeone as a youngster, right? So, mm-hmm. like, if you look Physically at the pro- if you look at the players that have made it under Simeone as youngsters, they've done extremely well. And I'm talking players that are like under 25 and done well, right? Mm. So, Saul, Koke, Griezmann, Thomas Partey, Lucas Hernandez, Hernandez, Jimenez, these guys, uh, Yano Black, these guys Mm. have have become like top 10 players in their position in the world under Timioni, right? So, at, at one point in time. So, I think that he could reach the same ceiling that Griezmann did at Atletico before leaving. Leaving, I think it looks like he's going to do really well. And he's had more pressure than any of those. Players. Oh yeah, oh you know? yeah. You know, hundred million of pressure euros or that kid like, has. <sighs> I don't think there. I think he has more pressure than any youngster in the world. Yeah, I so I think there's less pressure on Mbappe because he's won such major trophies already. I truly mm. do believe that. Yeah, it's all World Cup. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, what? A, it's like okay, just win a couple Ballon doors and like no one will ever hate you. So, um, but yeah, we got to wrap up this episode. 
there's just been so much going on. It's it's been really exciting season, especially a lot of these episodes are easier to record after a win for both of our clubs. So you know, Absolutely. I'll say that. Um, yeah, we're approaching forty five thousand downloads as well. We need to get to two thousand followers on Twitter at the State of Play Pod. Um, Matt is very close to what was it nine thousand followers? You were saying nine thousand. Um, yeah, um, got a great shout yeah. out from Vito Angela. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I'll just take this time to just plug myself on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Yeah, approaching 9K. Thank you guys so much for supporting me. Whoever out there listening does follow me there. Um, I'm producing weekly articles for Football Italia on Milan. So it's a really good joy and a treat for me to be able to put those out consistently with the wins coming, of course. So uh, yeah, thanks for the support and guys, take us off. Well, yeah, Pet Pet needs to get to 1K too. Everybody's. Uh, off I don't to, think it, I don't things. think it will ever happen. What do you mean? Do you <laughs> just, well, man, just, trust. Well, because because you tweet a very not so often. More, man. <laughs> I need to tweet more. <laughs> I need to up my volume. I need to up my exactly. volume. Exactly. Yeah, the volume. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be a volume uh, tweeter, man. Yeah, man. I'm a. <laughs> You're like I'm a poacher. You're waiting for the good tweet. opportunities to get a tweet that bangs, but you exactly. 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 You can find me at Pet Barisha, P E T B E R I S H A on Twitter, and yeah. Yeah, you can follow me at Martino Pucci on Twitter. Sorry, I didn't do a post match for Milan. It was six thirty in the morning. It was too. It was too early to wake up for that. Um, really appreciate all the feedback and support we're getting on there too. We're getting lots of views, helping us grow there. Um, yeah, I mean, you can just follow me on there. We have the Instagram account for State Play Pod, the TikTok. If you still want to go on there, we need likes to get all those tough calls that we got going. Facebook page, YouTube channel as well. Hopefully, we get some more of those. And in a few weeks, we got um, the Football Content Awards. So hopefully, we can win that, uh, bring home a trophy. Um, so that would be uh, bring it home for the fans bring it home (laughs) for the fans yeah absolutely yeah um yeah other than that just listen to some more